Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village, from St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. To read Shailen Chang is to sit with the truth and the untruth when they stare at each other. She comments expertly on the fabrication of happiness, the solitariness of living in a city. To pretend like nothing is happening is a scar. It's a mystery when people pretend nothing is happening. How to collect reactions in creamy dreams. How to collect, did you just say that? Did you really just say that? Light on wilted plants, paninis that take too long to get heated up, the way the ceiling might fall or its patterns might make your eyes hurt, or the sounds of the roommates enter your room, vacation may reveal a scenery of vomiting. The enigma of the city trying to leave it when the city implants itself, too real to quote, habits. Shailon writes, dust hugs you, or everyone is the same kind but belonging to different catalogs. Public transit in the place of lovers, confidants, best friends from other classrooms. When napping was on the schedule, how we can imitate a machine and it might be acute sound. Repetitions of actions or the person in your nails. Modes of survival, lies are medicinal. The pressure to imitate a culture of joggers and cider, of neighbors who give you art. Intimacy is a game of repetition, like when sunsets are watching. When's the last time the sunset was an activity on your calendar or on your accidents? The body who irons a shirt gets folded in. Saliva mixes with the steam. This path is detectable. This path is writable. Please help me in welcoming Shailen Cheng. Like we never feel like we were home. 
chilly summer chili powder. Heat winds hide under your skin. Bicycle carry the tape slaves. Don't let the weather and raindrops fool you. Last year we had a bazaar in April. That was beautiful. I'm just very tired when people talk about cold weather. I don't want to mention it. It's a scam by the weather. <laughs> he put a smallest bag of popcorn next to my pillow after I told him that I was starving. Summer won't come until June. It won't come back until fall. I walk alone through rooms, memories, shops, restaurants, and winter. My fingers are waiting for summer, and my heart is waiting for his fall. Snow lies are outside. Packs of water drops and sleep. He's on the way to win. Cities and the adventures. Imagine these. On the way to your home one day, as regular as the day, with white clouds, the blue sky, a long road, and a black handbag turned to gray because you have been carrying them for too long. An old face and a dim street light always walk home with you. Trundling the handrail of the bridge on the way home, you start to look back on your daily life. The first day you were hired, you thought your life would be steady. It was steady, but it kept repeating. Now you start to wonder about your future, your path, your memory, your goals, your reason to exist, your passion, the end of your days, being loved and being hated, and your path. When the night comes, there is a stranger sitting on your couch, waiting for your arrival. He wears a top hat, a scholar collar and tie, with a shamed smile, he says, you have been waiting for me. This is the day. We'll come back. He gives you a golden key and asks you to open the door now. The door that you have been noticed before in your room and never tried it to open. You feel anxious and dizzy and you wait. After he leaves, you walk over you, you walk over to the door and you see a long, narrow, dark road that extends from your room. You walk in and start the first day of spring. In a city, there is no formula to follow, but there is always a decision that waits to be explored. The scar. He crouches to kiss my scar on my right knee softly and raises his head to sniff my blue shirt. He does not know that I am looking at him with an unknown sentiment. The odor of his neck, the color of his skin, and the sentence from his mouth all belong to me at this moment. He looks back at me with a pair of glassed animal-like black pupils. The scar is pink and dark brown, like a little monster reborn. It burns on my body. I got it in a car accident. That year, summer was hotter than any summer before. I had just come back from a southern kingdom. My body still smelling like fish sauce, sea breeze, and endless traveling. But the adult said it was the time to settle down, so my auntie found a job for me. I began a routine life like a hamster in her cage. <laughs> no one knows what happens under the sea. When the surface is calm and peaceful, something might be growing underneath. I start to go to sleep on time, and the food tastes like paper. I read newspaper, but pretend nothing has happened in my little and narrow world. I talk quietly to everybody, and I roll my scooter faster and faster. I thought there had to be an access to this life, and I tried so hard to find it, but every morning was still a nightmare maze. I knew it was going to happen, but just did not expect when. I feel one part of my brain tear and call. Bleeding is better than boredom. Maybe I was just waiting. The morning was as hard as usual. The traffic light turned red, and I thought I had one more lucky chance. I speed up the trundler, and suddenly a load of soldiers came out from the side of the street. I from the from the side of the street, I turned my steering hand, hand, handlebar to the left and my scooter 
intensely stick on the ground, sunshine being directly into my eyes. I was lying on the ground with my wounded body, and the sky was extremely beautiful from this angle, just like the summer before. I had not seen any color for a while because I did not even think about raising my head to the sky. After the accident, I quit my job, and now I'm lying on his arm, sobbing for no reason. Both of us are drunk on a bottle of red wine. He says, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. With his deep voice, he gentle calls my name. Both of them know it's a lie, but we live in this life. We need a life, like a baby needs an amputate food. Just when you go to swim, you need water to move through. We rely on lives, and then we can keep going on. It's not fine. I know I have to find a job as soon as possible, or my family will be angry and I'll be broke. But I'm not in a rush. I'm lying and listening to something to happen. I'm looking in the wall and waiting for something to happen. I'm sitting by the side of wind and waiting for something to happen. Nothing happens, but the birds are singing, the cattle is steaming clouds of steam, the ants are walking across the wooden table, the dictionary whispers, the chair are posting a sentence, the flowers are blooming, the soap is exalting a, a smell, and the tape is dropping its tears, and my scar is waiting to be kissed. I want to hurt him so badly, but I decide to lie on his arm. Kiss his scarf and wait. Passing. I'm waiting for your mail. Handwriting from your left hand, fluent and gentle. An apple grows between your teeth. Two chairs attached to your sweat. Three pillows steal your dreams. Four fingers as pale as your toe ring. You only exist in outer space. Endlessly walk walking toward the moon. The shiny spray is the chain to your glasses. When you stare at me, the moment you talk, begging, rose dies, rose dead in the winter, never ever come back. Smell the shout out, it's a howl, whistle, or a scream. It's a whisper, only our ears hear. I ask you to bring me a cup of water. I dance by my toenails. Soda is burping. I want to remember everything, and I want to forget anything. The ocean climbs and attacks the seas. You cannot look up on the way to hell. Falling to a distant look of the girl sitting in front of your bench. A blank smile. Lair, guard, blank. Feet, feet, feet. I'm calling to you, hanging on you, step on you, sleeping with you. Sentences are useless when you are listening. My voice is not what I'm thinking. No, notice is emotion. Jealousy is an action. We share embarrassment, but we cannot touch swallow flames. The tide is coming up. I'm lying on your cake, but I cannot be covered anymore. Tugging my head under your arm, avoiding those radio stations, Passing the road alongside September, we are going toward May. No more melon flowers. Silence. The most dangerous dark arrow hides inside your head. The way to tomorrow is just tear out one page of daylight. Yell out. A bitter diffuse is not as painful as... Wait. Clock. I will say whatever you want to hear. Give you a kiss, read ten times, leave your room. Rumor says, you left a gray lipstick bag in our hometown. Rumor says you will not come back for it. Rumor says, very well. Rumor says, take a bow is romantic, but you take a plan. You left windows open in the bathroom. Teddy Bear says you will never come back. Teddy Bear calls you a rainbow snail. Teddy Bear says, stay me ever since season, but you dangle your car keys. Umbrellas sing an off-key melody. Reeds broadcast around your location. 
Reeds recline into a circle in the lobby. Reeds spend a yard about your divorce before you fall into water. You scratch it and drop several white hairs. Same paper says you will not come. Same paper asks you to have a one-minute lunch. Same paper makes appointment with the oldest corner vendor, but you forget to bring your spicy tongue. You record rumors and fill in our washing machine. Would your zip code gamble, zip code move? Has it been that long? I record a message in your cup before you finish oxygen. Thirst hugs you. Thirst keep a great lipstick in our hometown. Rumor loses your number. Okay, I'm going to skip this one. <laughs> Symbolical, to make friends with writers. Chill Simon, after chopping out his head, cutting off his armor, and puking out the stomach, <laughs> wears shed after the young female worker sews saliva and mucus in, folded and ironed with her bruised nails. Stopper mouse, after catching him on the groove roll his face over, tear the skin apart, and put another bowl on. Leave a spoon of honey after ordering a high farm life, feeding beans in spring, then poison them to the death in the winter. Drink a cup of coffee afternoon after the coffee bean picker collecting 120 pounds in the rainforest, sweating on slippery bare feet, and stumble home in a heat. Swallow your egg after a hand seaweed without clumps, briefly musing about her babies. Add gas to your muscle after the pile wire transfers and under the sea bag, under the mountain cardio, under the highway, under your tree house and the dining table. I was well The only private space I had was a window between my tea and the bathroom. I told everyone he brought a new watch in case no one was curious about time. When the computer felt like vomiting, I would have a cup of black tea to dance in the shadow. I drank from a pen-made fountain, sit on a fatty chair, and sleep on a noodle blanket. My hypotic beds grow a rainbow on Fridays. The document flee from shutters, arrive in the desert yard. I dream of have I jumped yet. Snowflake and juicy heaven are one step away. My hobbies, shed feet, home songs, breathe airs in the hallway and reclaim the heat. I transport as a cockroach with a legal license, continue hiding from the professional heels. My colleagues has to wait until next April. The lover, H1B, will take care of her for three years. Next decade, the population in Northeast China will come soon. There are lots of people in China still, she said to one Singapore. They are immortal, faithful, permaforest, and call back home every weekend. I was welcomed. I drank from a pen-made folk fountain, a paper map bridge, a cellar-made airplane, where grows an open-to-public garden at a nether world. The weirdest girl dies first. <laughs> <laughs> On the sixth floor, the oldest grade, where students will arrive eventually. If we all go to hell, you won't be happy in heaven alone anyway. The louder I sing, I sing louder. I sing with the mixing of value. The dream song makes me forget what I look like. The mirror aids my eyes, but no one was scared of a short-haired ghost. One day I will be as dead as the moon, rolling in the playground. I wish you came to chat with me, so I will not pretend I fell to sleep during the 10-minute break. If I hold an eraser to bully about, my team will make it to the next round. Since honesty drove my classmates away, I only talk to the toilet. 
Sitting alone in the middle of large black sofa marks me a loser. <laughs> Sleeping a cup of yellow tea makes me grind. Minority is a percentage on the bowl that lets you speak Thai. Scientists say agents has the smallest peanuts. <laughs> the mother from Victoria's Secret had plastic surgery, so I checked her price to see if I want to have a white baby. Feel a toddler nose, touch myself softly, have a mixed baby. Get my green card to somewhere. I live in the ghetto and I'm a doctor, so I hang out with white, black, Asian, Middle East. You want to fool around yourself because you are on the top. Stereotypes don't kill you, they make you stronger. My child doesn't know if why and I can't write in English. Border free, white wives. Gypsy, how do you like New York so far? It's great, I really enjoy the environment. Oh, very particular. I woke up in the morning, tore to the park, runner showed up in the drum, and they usually wear gray clothes, so they mingle with the daybreak. I walked forward to the hill and drink my apple cider. Sometimes I'm attracted by the sight of old buildings. Some of them look like they burned, they burned down decades ago. Some of them are covered by dents. I barely see the inside. What are you doing there? I just stare at them because they are always my class. I walk home before people appear and the city become crowded. You like Central Park? No, I was talking about Fall Green Park. I don't know where is it. What else? Tell me more about New York. Well, sometimes when I go home, people flex music and just drink in the street. They invite me to join them. I never do. I just look at them from my window and smoke. They always help me when I carry heavy groceries. This sounds terrible. Tell me something about restaurants and coffee shops. I cook. I don't really eat out. Tell me about those cool bars. I love one dollar happy hour beers. They are so cheap and disgusting. So my friends and I can stay at a bar for a couple of hours. You tell me about celebrities. I have met Andy in my neighborhood. Tell me about local artists. I think the guy who lives next door is a painter. He gave me one of his paintings. It's a circle of brushes around the leg. I hand it in my bathroom. <laughs> Does he own a gallery or something? No, he works for Radio Shake. <laughs> Is there a radio station? He broadcasts his, his exhibitions? No, it's an electricity retail store. He's a midnight shift cashier. He smoked pots in his apartment and he invites me to smoke with him. Sometimes he asks me for money. That's not what I thought about New York. I want to go party. Go to fancy restaurants, wear my cozy shirt, and hang out with Woody Allen. Oh, I don't really know about that bar. I heard Woody Allen plays there, and it's, it's very expensive to get in. What do you mean you're not familiar with the city? What's wrong with Manhattan? It's nothing wrong with Manhattan at all. I truly enjoyed it when I go, but I live in Brooklyn. What is Brooklyn? It's New York City. You don't sound like a New Yorker at all. I know, and I'm fine with that. Can I please <laughs> sit on the bench before the sunset, please? Can I sit alone? <laughs> no, come to the city and party with me. We are going to be so famous and have lots of fun. The world is watching us. Stand up. When you care so much, I don't even care. Can you please walk away? <laughs> no, you have no right to sit down. Listen, those buildings you stare at will be demolished. Those bars you went to, those people you hang out with will be kicked out of the town because Manhattan-style fan is coming to Brooklyn. Everyone sing and kneel down. These are my pity feelings when they say, Taiwanese are Chinese. Taiwanese are like Chinese. There is no difference between us. We are the same. Taiwanese were Chinese ethic anyway. We are just cows. Okay, I'm going to read the last one. The Milky Way. Where are my names? Why don't you say Americans? Black doesn't count. How much do you pay for the rent? 
Chinatown? Which one? Why are you so serious? Are you confused about your nationality? Can you read? How long have you been learning English? How many languages do you speak? Why are people so smart over there? Why are you so small? Why don't you go back to your country? You want to stay. Don't eat intestines. Why shouldn't we learn Chinese if we couldn't even breathe there? Only bottle water, make dumplings. Do you miss your family? Will they come? Why don't you move with them? What do you eat? Smell the freedom. Be social, be in, mix into the society. Have an English net, talk like us, watch the Big Bang, Big Bang Theory, get the girl for me, learn slang, find a life, wait 10 years. Say the world, you are one of us now, you are just like white people, we welcome you, come back, okay? You don't fit in. Is Buddha the bad guy? There are more than one bad guy? Can I do your makeup? Who do you like more? Which part? Can you see without glasses? Why aren't you happy? What's wrong with us? Let's pray. Americans, you are so around. Do not sell movies to my pillow and grandchildren before you are ready to award us a gold medal. Thank you.
a feminine mouth puckered at the corners, and those ears, trumpet ears, protruding like uneven parentheticals around the poet mind. The revolutionary poet was killed by revolutionaries. The military tried to kill him too and almost succeeded. Once he was thrown into prison and ordered to death by the dictator, the night that he was to stand back to a wall, fire squad lined up aiming for fatality, the dictator was overthrown by a military coup, so they say. Rokia was excused from his death. Lucky poet. Rokia wrote, every day the dead are more restless. The punchline is, the dead are becoming the majority. The joke is, the majority will overthrow the living. Antes era fácil con ellas, les daba un duro, una flor, which is to say, it used to be so easy with the dead, just give them a stiff collar, a flower, praise their names on a long list. Let's talk about retrovision. You rolled your dice on triumphant future. I look back on that future and saw the no hoper, the mass graves. Retrovision. Let's talk about revolution. I talk about revolution like it's a hobby. The first time I slept with the girl, we were in the jungle. She had curly black hair that fell all the way down to the curve of her back. We were sleeping, not sleeping, in an abandoned house down the hill from Kinechnab Akal's tomb, the famous Mayan sarcophagus. She was traveling from Mexico City with her friends. They caught snakes in jars. They danced on night tables for money. They made jewelry from bright colored thread and twisted wire. I fumbled into her orgasm and she cried, isn't this a revolutionary thing? I tasted the bitter cream of her pussy in my mouth and wanted a glass of water. After the revolution, a memorial wall was erected in Parque Puscalan. Your name is Vermoke, carved in black stone, worn by fingers trailing over the letters. There he is, the revolutionary poet. There he is, written on a monument, praised on a long list. Carved into the stone lid of the Mayan sarcophagus is a two-headed serpent that signals the entrance to the land of the dead. I wonder, sticking my fingers into, fingers into unknown dark holes, if I were close to the land, if the land of the dead could be found just beyond the flesh. Lo siento, Rocky, I am pampered in this new world. I am a queer in so many ways and often a coward. The way death scuttles in the corners of diaspora, I watch my feet. I prefer well-lit spaces. But sometimes, when I'm nosy, I open the drawers of my mother and peek in to find shame collected in lovely piles. Maybe I slam the door, disgusted. Maybe I cry further, sneak into a door accidentally left unlocked and find unlocked and find rape asphyxiated on a clothing on a clothing rack, right next to that purple shirt, the one that looks so bright on her. I shut the door quietly so as not to wake her dead. The military, furious at the revolutionary poet, sniffed him out, imprisoned him again, and made him sit on his poetic hands and think about his execution. But an earthquake hit and cracked the wall of his cell through which he dug a hole, through which he escaped, lucky poet. The gods were watching you. He fled to Cuba, but knowing that he had to return home for the revolution, underwent cosmetic surgery to change his face, break that smooth one-quarter round of nose, pin back those trumpet ears. Have you ever dated a trans man before, he asked me, and I said yes, even though I hadn't. Because I heard, have you ever fucked a trans man before? Of course I had. There are incisions across his chest, down his arms, and other secret places, plump and roby like earthworms. I finger the scars without knowing how deep the wound goes. What is it like to love me, he asks. Do you feel more like a girl? Do you feel less queer? It's like we're double agents, I say. It's like we're undercover. I hear treason, but see the two-headed serpent slither across the land and wonder. Have I crossed over? Roque, after your transformation at the hands of the Cubans, the revolutionary cosmetic surgeon, did you like your face? Did you stare into the mirror and wonder where you've gone to? Did you question the architect? Did you wish to escape the building? Remember that time they held you in prison when the earthquake split the wall of your cell? Did you ever look into the mirror for a crack to swing the earth from, to emerge as you from, the window in your face, sounding and sounding? The revolutionary poet was killed by revolutionaries. Some say it was a power struggle, revenge, a crime of passion. Some say that the revolutionary army mistook him for a spy, a double agent, a double-headed serpent, that he, unrecognizable after his surgery, no longer wore the face of the revolutionary poet. Some say he was too powerful a revolutionary, too opinionated, too charismatic, that they recognized him despite the revolutionary cosmetic surgeons, probably because of his deep eyes, poet's eyes, unchanged by the knife, so the members of the revolutionary 
Arvin were ordered to put him to death, and they either drugged him or shot him in the back of the head because they couldn't bear to look him in the eyes, his poet's eyes. Some say the killer put a gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and said, fucking poet. <laughs> Revolutionary perhaps has lost its meaning, perhaps should only be taken in context. How do we measure the objective standards of revolutionary? What aesthetic do we apply? The fit, the misfit, the discomfit? I think there must be sadness. There must be sadness welling from the underground spring, wetting the emotional fauna. Even the long-stemmed anger must be overwatered from the sadness. The revolutionary taste, I think, must taste like gravel and blood, boot rubber and cracked leather in the face. The revolutionary face can be broken and reshaped, a disguise, a deformation, with the eyes always the same, brown eyes, sad eyes, barbed with anger. I'm sorry if we disappointed you, because I pass as a girl, because I don't pass as a girl, because I pass as a man, because I don't pass as a man, because I am not a girl, because I am not a man, because you're the revolutionary face, because you are not the revolutionary face. I don't understand your face. Do you accept yourself? The treasonous face of the revolutionary poet. Fucking poet. Maybe they just didn't like the look on your face. Like sisters almost said about us to me. She said it after I tried to kiss her. I just wanted to taste her ferocity and she seemed to buy a curious type, a tattooed girl with a snarl on her lips. The way she said it, like sisters, was so sincere, so ride or die, that I'd forgotten to be embarrassed for my wandering lips. I put her hand on my heart and repeated the declaration of love, like sisters. Alma and I met waiting tables at club in Santa Monica, the sort of place university students with fake IDs drank until they vomited. We were the two brown girls in front of house, a front of house staff comprised mostly of short, angry men. People always were asking, are you two sisters? Yes. Yes, we were. I didn't like the place, but when you look queer, a job is hard to come by, and I looked queer with my faux hawk and lip rings. I stuck around there for years, better than working at nonprofits or call centers. I've done that. Alma didn't have to stick around. She had the sort of face that people hire, full lips, snarl and all, an elfish chin, hypnotic glassy eyes like ocean swells after dark. It didn't matter that she had holes in her jeans or drew ugly geometric shapes on her sneakers with a sharpie. She got away with it all. The bartender was always trying to get a rise out of Alma, incite her to flash him with anger. One time he palmed her ass as she was balancing a full tray of pints in her hand. She swung around, long black ponytail slicing across the room, and then gently, as though sending a bird into the sky, released the tray and the beer and frothing glass poured down on him. I loved that moment, a tremor of fury, a tiny victory. That night we toasted to a sisterhood of victories. She quit not long after that and began a career in webcam pornography. I've been going to debt fucking myself, she said. Turns out I could have been getting paid. I told her I dated the porn star again briefly. He broke up because according to her, I confused love and sex, which isn't true, but she called me a petty romantic so many times I thought about getting a tattoo across my chest. I went to one of her video shoots when we were going out. She hung from the ceiling by a rope knotted around her ankle while her orifices, ever-expanding gyres, were gorged until I thought she'd rip apart. Later she told me she could have taken more. Cool, Alma said. When can I meet her? Reluctantly, I introduced them. We met at a bar and again told us about her new friend, Beth, who was getting her bizarre gigs. The money shot was her naked on a kitchen floor covered in some variety of food products, champagne, yogurt, ham. I think you're confusing food, sex with food, I told them. Last night I laid on a table for two hours, covering gravy like an English roast, she said, and looked at us expectantly. Her hair had grown out since I'd seen her last. It was still shaved on the sides, but a long swath of fawn brown curls hung seductively between her eyes. What kind of gravy, I asked. I don't know what kind of gravy. is gravy, brown gravy. Anyway, Sam looked over at Alma through her barstool perch. What are you doing next Wednesday? Wednesday, Alma said. Pretty sure I'm free. Beth and I are doing a shoot and we need a third. Pies this time. Pies, huh? Is that really your thing? I asked Alma. I mean, sure, she said. 
I realized that they were going to hook up, and I hadn't filled all the salt shakers and buster tables to offer her as a human sacrifice to my ex. Well, I'm going to, I said. You want to watch? Ben asked. I'll even let you climb me. I don't know what that means, I said, and I didn't. Ben's friend Beth looked like a sort of girl you think of when you think part. Porn star, blonde, low-toss smile. Apparently, she also moonlighted as a classical pianist. She picked us up at 10 a.m., and the four of us drove into the, into the valley, blasting rock and off the whole way. Interstate 5 transported us onto suburban boulevards and past corporate parks with their dark ribbons and lightless windows. Simon, the director, waved for us outside the eucalyptus lined housing complex. He waved his key, and the iron gate rolled open. Hey, Simon, Beth shouted out the window, her golden hair tangled in the breeze. Simon leaned in and gave Beth's hand into its squeeze and directed us where to park. He was a small, frank, white guy wearing a polo shirt and khakis, his skin covered with too much sun. He introduced us to his girlfriend, Jackie. Who are you, he asked me. She's just here for the show, Van said, laying a hand flirtatiously on his shoulder. Okay, beautiful day, isn't it, Jackie said, with a distinctly New York sound, and scratched her head. She had the sort of dye job that's unnaturally red, like she soaked her head in the barrel of Merlot. Jackie and Simon ushered us into the lounge, which turned out to be a community recreation room, the sort of place residents throw baby showers and holiday parties. It reminded me of the rectory of church when I was a little girl, something about the smell, medicinal, drafty. This is it, Simon said proudly. We're shooting in here, Alma asked, wrinkling her nose. Beth started. What were you expecting, baby set? Alma shrugged and followed again with Beth to the bathroom to change, leaving me leaning awkwardly against the door frame. A narrow kitchen separated the room by a low counter on which sat twin rows of empty pie shells, so perfectly molded and uniform in their rich tops and tapering tan skins. Simon and Jack had rolled plastic sheets across the floor and took an industrial-sized roll of ceramic out to the sofa. Jackie had bright pink nails on her wrinkled hands that kept tearing the plastic. The way they were giggling, I was wondering if this was their idea of a hot day. Simon tasked me with mixing the food dye to vats of whipped cream, plastic tarts of snowy peaks he posted out of the fridge. It's like human tie-dye, he said. I hadn't planned on being put, being put to work, but I was glad to have something to do. I reached in my finger and let the cold sugar dissolve on my tongue. I mixed red, yellow, blue, and green. The colors came out muted, delicate pastels. Where's the tape? Jackie asked. Well, don't tell me we're out, said Simon. We've got to take the plastic up down. We'll be steaming the carpet for weeks. There's no explaining that. Don't fuss, Simon. I have some in my apartment, Jackie said and turned to me. Want to come? I peered down the hallway and heard laughter coming from behind the closed bathroom door. We walked along the cement pathway past identical wood shingled houses and with chimes and wind fans on the porches, past the sky blue pool with a few visor patrons posed on the front of chairs. Do you do this often? Go to porn shoots, I asked. No, do you? This is my first shoot, she said. So is the one with the curly hair your girlfriend? My ex, I said, more celebrated than I intended. I knew there was something between you two, Jackie said. She spread her arms wide as though offering her breast to the sun. I moved out here from Long Island five years ago, and I never go back. It's so cold here, no weather. She went to look for the tape while I stood smoking a cigarette on her porch and peered through her sliding glass door. Her living room was cluttered with exotic-looking junk, carved elephants, brightly painted plates, a large wooden cage on a pedestal with tiny blue porcelain birds. I got that in Laos, she said, a roll of tape around her wrist like a bracelet. I used to travel a lot with my ex-husband. Now I've got my sign, and he looks right there. She pointed to an identical building on the other side of the walkway. We're having a blast. At my age, I'm almost 60. I thought I was destined for loneliness. So what's with the pies, I asked. What? She turned and looked at me, favoring one eye like a bird. Are you offended? No, I said. Are you? If you're upset, just say so. I'm not. Well, it is a little strange, right, Jackie said. It's just fun. He told me it all started with the cartoons when he was a kid. You know, the old pie and the face stick. He makes some money off the website, too, but mostly it's a hobby. She locked her door and headed back to the lounge. From then, I knew enough about the industry to understand a thing or two about hobbyists. Their videos were less about the money and the community validation. The directors share a little piece of their sexual imagination. They share the proclivity, share the desire. See this girl? see this pie, and the community of like-minded fetishes gratefully accept the director's vision with one hand while the other yanks their genitals. All the guys have their things, Jeff said. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. I shrugged and put my cigarette out in the garden planter. 
Van, sat, Van and Beth sat on the couch wearing summer dresses. I envied the way that Van had worn from androgynous to high bound with a smear of lipstick and a change of clothes. Alma wobbled in after them looking vampiric in her white button-down shirt and black skirt we bought at a resale shop on Melrose. Her warm brown skin glowed against the bright red of her lips and I wondered if I didn't ever seen anyone more beautiful than her. I knew she only called me her sister to let me down easily. Simon filled with the lighting, the hot yellow glow cast dramatic shadows across the small room. We're ready, ready to start filling the pies too, Simon said. Jackie was squatting over a steam on the floor with a roll of tape hooked up at me. Just two scoops in each, honey. I reached into the vat of clouds and ladled out two scoops. Simon looked over his shoulder and said, two and a half, two and a half scoops. Simon, the little dictator of the pile, I ladled a half scoop more and plopped in the cream. Okay, girls, let's start by saying what it is you're looking forward to, all right? Say it into the camera. Simon motioned his hands at the traffic guard. Van put a hand on each of their legs and said, I can't wait to eat. Van's glossy lips curled into a dark smile. Her cheekbones jutted towards me like this. I rolled my eyes. Van and I had only dated for a few months, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't still an ache of attraction. Dating her, I realized that in all my previous relationships, I crouched in the shadow of my partner's insecurities about sex, always quick to establish a routine where we both knew exactly the road to travel on the other's body. With Van, there were no shadows. The train spread wide open, capable of swallowing whole any offering I might lay before her. Yeah, Beth said, I'm ready for dessert. Um, said Alma, tugging on a leg with thick hair. I like pie. I kept scooping as Van started pulling at the buttons on Alma's shirt. I felt my face turn red, but I didn't look away as they stripped each other down to their underwear. Beth and Van were lean and muscular, professionals trained for endurance, capable of pushing their bodies to new limits of contortion, expansion, and excitation. Alma, her soft arms and legs, her wide belly, shared little of their athletic looks. She fidgeted with her hands and flashed the social glare of the camera. Now for the fun, Simon said, rubbing his hands together and reaching for a pie shell I'd filled, I'd filled with whipped cream. I'm going to throw a pie at each of you, one at a time. It's like a guitar solo. Any of you girls like music? I'll go first, Beth said, throwing up her arms. And she did have long fingers, piano fingers. She posed in front of the couch with a wide smile. From behind the camera, Simon pitched the pie. The filling was pink, and I watched a little mortified by the speeding force of the throw as the pie hit her square in the face. Most of it stuck, but wads of rosy first frosting and crust flew off like she'd been shot. The bits of fluffy brains were sent squatting behind her. Nice aim, yelled Jackie. We all chuckled. The fat blobs of whipped cream slid down Beth's face. She licked her lips. Van went next. Simon lobbed a blue pie that smacked on her forehead. Take two, Simon said, and threw another pie, this one green. One more, he said, and a yellow one slopped against her left cheek. Temporarily faceless, blue, lemon, and minty green, her naked body looked like the stick of a lollipop. She wiped the frosting off with her hands and shook them. Then it was almost turn. She got up from the couch, except, and except for her naked, except for her patent leather heels and a pair of tiny underwear, she stood with her fists clenched, looking like a nervous child about to jump into the deep end of the pool. Simon launched the pie at Alma, but she darted out of the way and it exploded across the couch. We all laughed and Simon threw another. She ducked it too. Okay, Simon said, try and hold still. But the next pie almost swatted with her hand. Relax, Van said, smiling through the smears of frosting. It doesn't hurt. It's like getting farted on by whipped cream. It's not that, Alma said, it's just a reaction. I think at first this was true, just a natural instinct to avoid objects hurtling towards one's face. Let's try again, Simon said, smiling encouragingly his long front teeth protruding beyond his lower lip. But she dodged it again and then another time. With each successive pie, Alma's smile became tighter lipped and the evasion became about something else. Everybody has to get a pie in the face, Simon said, as though lecturing a disobedient child. That's the rule, Simon, his stupid rules. Alma exhaled sharply and raised her eyebrows in a silent, fuck you. I figured out then that I admit I could be a little slow, but the slapstick cartoons getting pie in her face, the joke's on you. Literally. I could see the fury under Alma's skin, as if there were always some guy standing in the wings waiting to throw a pie in all our faces. I felt responsible. I had introduced her to Van, which is why she was there. But more than that, as her self-proclaimed sister, I wanted to shield her, take the pie for her, or better yet, 
taped down the pie for her. She looked at me with a fierce question in her eyes that I couldn't quite articulate. I looked away. I don't want to waste anymore, said Simon. Girls, why don't you hold her arms? You're fussing, Jackie called, pulling more shells out of the freezer. We've got so many in here. She set them on the counter and stood next to me, patting my hand. But Van took one of her arms anyways and Beth took the other. And they held her behind her back. Their hard, angled bodies were straight. I picked up a pie and held a smooth, waxy crust in my hand. It felt weightless. I bit my lip and I told myself that I would throw it at Simon. I would hurl it at his thinning gray hair, his drawn back cheeks. We were young. We were beautiful. Our bodies, or at least their bodies, were economically powerful, sexually powerful, were they not? Who was he to make the rules? Beth said some cutesy thing into the camera. I don't know what. I was too furious with Van at that moment for her complacency, for professionalism, for not telling Simon where to put his game and his rules, even as I stood there mean, palms sweating against the pastry crust. Simon threw again, and this time it hit her. Yellow frosting dribbled over her long black hair. Incoming, Simon shouted. Alma looked up at him, stared straight into him, daring him. A purple pie struck her, and she became violent, her face a lavender cloud. Not bad, said Simon, standing back admiringly with his hands on his hips. She's a feisty one, isn't she? And they laughed. Not me, but they all laughed. Van and Beth and Simon, because it was supposed to be funny. I waited for my cue. I waited for the ground to tremble, for the sugar, the shiny heels, and the pretty girl's skin to fall away and reveal the devil of victory that I knew lived beneath the frosting dropped from Alma's bra. Before I had a chance to register what was happening, the pie left my hands. I watched a projectile over the counter explode in the shiny center, shiny center of Simon's skull. Someone gasped, maybe we all did. I heard a low giggle come from beside me. I couldn't help myself, Jackie shooting. Who did the pink nails wait across her face? I'm so sorry. Simon turned slowly around, a blue, a pile of blue frosting on his head like the other shampoo. And then we were all laughing, trying to hold it in, but failing. A brown hand on a pale, muscular leg, golden curls tumbling over whipped cream cheeks, floral panties bunching, piano fingers full of fluffy brains. Simon, crowned king of the pies. Okay, Simon said, his face set in a horrified smile. Very funny. Then Jackie handed them all pies, and they smashed them into each other's faces, slathering themselves, whipped cream in their armpits, their ears, whipped cream running down their backs. And so began the dance of manufactured sex. Alma lay with her back on the couch, and Van and Beth climbed on top of her. They seemed to respond to the stimulation, but their eyes barely lost focus. They kept their plucked genitals angled towards the camera. Their moans struck the air in a rhythm of exclamation points. A pie burst across Alma's tips. Van, her back curved over her, looked at me and winked before licking it away. I watched, but not with lust or jealousy, just curiosity. It wasn't true what Van said about my confusing love and sex. After Van, I had dated a girl for about a year. I thought I really loved her. But since we'd broken up, I found no pleasure in arousal. I got off on love. Their three entangled bodies shimmered as the sugar mixed with sweat and enameled them in a fine glaze, bodies in motion communicating through clenched muscles and sharp gas. No exchanging unspoken secrets, no fingers grasping at comprehension. Watching them, they reminded me of my own disengaged masturbation. I'd curl my fingers between my legs and think about all the things I needed to do or hadn't done that day, read my emails, cancel an internet subscription that I never used and had overdrawn my bank account. The ghost of pleasure would stab at my muscles, my spine, from my mouth. The ecstasy of orgasm ricocheted across the halls of my body, but the halls were empty. Alma, her movements a little stiff, reluctantly vulnerable, her patent other heels reflecting the amber light. I looked for signs of the rage that had so entirely consumed the room but found none. I wondered if she'd let it go, let the rage evaporate off her skin, or whether it had slipped into some dark crevice to hide. I wanted to see the rage, I wanted to reach in and pull it out of her, set it before the camera, a bloody, vibrating mass. But I stood there, leaning against the counter, and realized that she had offered me that rage. The question that she'd asked me with her eyes was, Sister, will you hold this rage with me? But I looked away. Now, all these years later, when I long for the burn, I wonder if I swallowed too much before it even got to taste, swallowed it down when I could have just reached out my hand and held it. For the climax, Simon started throwing pies as quickly as he could, like the finale of the fireworks show. I looked over at Jackie. She nodded and her head towards the door. I grabbed my cigarettes and followed her outside. She asked me for one. We lit up. She looked tired, the skin around her mouth hung a little slack. 
Very fun, she said. Who knew? Who knew, I replied. Not me. Thank you. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.